can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Today was a fun morning for me. Have you ever had one of those days where you have a little bit left to do, like maybe get your PowerPoint done? And, uh, and uh, so, you know, you, you, you set your alarm and then you wake up two hours later. That was me this morning, so I don't know. <laughs> it happens. Usually it's to my students, not me, so... <clears throat> Uh, so Chris Anderson had that really cool QR code, and I felt like discontent with my little link. <laughs> so I have a shortened bit link to my, my, my blog, and I have a QR code now. I feel much more content with that. So I think the only thing that could improve my life now is one of those awesome bracelets in craft time. So I think I will uh, I'll go get one of those. <laughs> um, let's go ahead, and we're going to... Let's read the passage, and today what we want to focus on, I guess I should give you like a quick overview. Yesterday we defined contentment, so we know what we're talking about. Today we're going to talk about being content in any situation. How can you be content in any situation? Oops, forgot my clock. See, we would never end. Tomorrow we're going to talk about discontentment. The following day we're going to talk about, oh man, I'm missing my order. Uh, we're going to talk about pursuing contentment. I'm missing one in there. Oh, and why you should be discontent. So today is the day we're talking about being content in any situation. So go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to read four verses. You're going to notice that one of them is really well-known, really familiar. It's probably the one you've seen uh, many times in life. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length that you have revived your concern for me. For indeed you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. God, thank you for your kindness to us and your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for giving us this place, Father, where we can go and have vacation and have a lot of fun and make new friends, and we can devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, we're very aware that we have an opportunity that not every Christian has on the planet. Uh, There are many Christians in parts of the world, Lord, that if they tried to do what we're doing, they would have to take a risk. Uh, maybe even taking their own life into their hands. So, Father, we're thankful today, God, that we can get together and we can come together around your word and be renewed in our minds. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us and bless your word as it goes forth. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is uh, contentment in any situation. And this is going to be, again, kind of luxury, kind of teachery. I'll try not to be too boring. But this all starts with a background. So, To understand what Paul says in verses 12 and 13, we need to step back into history and say, what is Paul talking about? Like, what's his situation? This is one of the classic mistakes you can make when you study your Bible. It doesn't mean you shouldn't study your Bible. And it doesn't mean if you studied your Bible and done this the wrong way, you failed and thrown the towel. But maybe today you'll learn something that would help you. Paul is talking about things with the church in Philippi, and there's a lot going on. And so if we're going to really get ourselves in that situation to understand what he's saying, we need to get into that historical context. So let's talk about the circumstances of Paul's contentment. All right, verse 10. 
Here's the context. Here's the context. Well, Paul, he's the one who planted the church at Philippi. So the church at Philippi would have known Paul. They would have loved Paul. They cared about him. They tried it many, a couple of times to minister to his needs. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. So in 50, well, first of all, here's Philippi. So here's the, now this is modern day. Okay, so here's down here is Jerusalem. And Antioch somewhere up in here. And then this is like Asia Minor. So this is where the seven churches of Asia Minor are. And then up here is where Philippi is. And Paul ended up going there on his second missionary journey. He wasn't planning on it, and then the Spirit, he had the Macedonian call, and so he goes. And so in AD 50 to 52, somewhere in there, Paul plants the church. If you want to read that story, you can go to Acts chapter 16 and start there. It's right after the Jerusalem Council, where they decide that Gentiles don't have to fulfill the law. And it's right after Paul and Barnabas have their big fight, and then they go their separate ways. So Paul goes, and he ends up going to some churches, and he ends up in Philippi, and they don't even have enough Jewish men to form a synagogue, so there's ladies down by the river praying, which is what Jewish women would have done. Lydia gets saved. She's a seller of purple linens. And then uh, Paul and Silas, they begin this ministry in Philippi, and people are starting to get saved. And then this weird thing happens. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever been walking through the store, and a little demon-possessed girl follows you and says, hey, these are servants of the living God. And it ever happened to anybody? Okay, that happened to Paul. It's kind of unusual, I would say. And so he and Silas are out trying to uh, share the gospel, and there's this little demonic, demon-possessed servant girl who's like prophesying about them. Now that's like not, I mean, it's, she's not wrong. <laughs> they are servants of the living God. But it's kind of hard to share the gospel effectively when you've got this Slave girl here, and then her owner is probably trying to make money off it, as you're going to see in a moment. So Paul at some point's like, get out. And that's not how he said it. And the demon gets cast out of the servant girl, and then she stops. This is a really great service that Paul did to this little slave girl, but her master was really ticked. Because the master used to use the slave girl to do this stuff, and then he would make money off her. So Paul just basically destroyed this man's income. So he gets irate. And essentially, there's a big riot, and Paul gets arrested, and Paul and Silas get beaten and then thrown in prison. Now, if you want a wonderful picture of contentment, does anyone remember what they were doing at midnight in the prison? You got bruises, and I mean, his, maybe his eyes swollen shut from getting hit. Maybe he's like got a broken rib or two, and they're in these chains. And what were they chains? What were they doing? They were singing and praising God. They were singing hymns and praying to the Lord. What would it have been like? You're in the prison. You're, maybe you're there for petty theft. Maybe you murdered someone. I don't know. And you're in there. Is this like you know, really tough types or whatever? And then these two weirdos come in, and they're like beaten up bad. And remember, in that day, your God is the one who takes care of you and makes your life better. And so here are these two people that follow this God named Jesus, and they're beaten horribly and yet they're singing praises to him and praying? Do you understand how unusual that must have come off? These prisoners must have been thinking, either these guys are really crazy, or man, their God must be really great. If You, you don't have to do this now, but if you go to 1 Peter 3, that's actually the context of that famous verse that says, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within you, but do it in gentleness and respect. Peter is saying, when you get beaten for doing the right thing, and then people ask you why, that's your opportunity to share the gospel. 
So, man, Paul and Silas, here they are having a horrible day. I mean, no, no one's saying this is like successful ministry. There's no ministry expansion program in America that's like, go out and get beaten. <laughs> Scale, market, you know, brand yourself right, you know. But here Paul's doing that, and I bet all the prisoners were just really confused. But what's the big event? What happens? There's an earthquake. And I don't know how, I don't know how this works, but all the prisoners got unchained. So I don't know if they had like one chain going through all of them, or what if it was, they were all individually chained, and then this happens, and then all their chains are broken. That had to have been weird and surprising. But the jailer, now Philippi is a Roman colony maybe, it's not in Rome, but it had all the laws of Rome. So it was kind of like Roman soil. The jailer would have known when he looks in there and they're all like freed from their chains, he immediately realizes any of them that like get like run away, it's going to cost him. And this is so bad that what does he do? He immediately gets ready to commit suicide. And Paul and Silas have to go, whoa, 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 we're all here. Don't, don't harm yourself. <clears throat> and the jailer is so amazed that he takes Paul back to his house, tends to his wounds. Paul shares the gospel, and the entire family gets saved. So this is what happened when the church of Philippi was planted. Talk about amazing. This is the power of the Lord and the word of God going forth and changing people's lives. So that's how it started. Paul and Philippi, the church at Philippi, they would have had a very close relationship. They would have remembered each other very well. So that's in 50 to 51. He finishes his second missionary journey, and he starts his third, and at the end of the third, he gets arrested again. Paul's always getting arrested, by the way. And so he gets arrested, and then in his transfer, they're taking him over to Rome. He gets shipwrecked, and that's a really great story. And then eventually he makes it to Rome, and then he's imprisoned. And while he's in prison, he writes a thank you letter to the Philippians. Now, let's do some math. I know that's hard, but 50 to 52, let's just take an average 51. And then 80, 61, Paul writes the letter. That's a whole decade. So what was happening in your life a decade ago? Like, just think about it for a moment. For Paul, a decade in the rearview mirror would have been when he planted the church at Philippi and all those amazing, miraculous events took place. This is the context of Paul. So he's currently in prison. So the, the Philippian church hears that Paul's in prison, and they say, hey, we should minister to Paul. Paul was in house arrest, and he couldn't earn a living, and so they sent a man in their church, and his name was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus goes there, and he probably brought a bunch of cash for Paul and maybe some other supplies to minister to Paul's needs. Now, this would have been huge because the way house arrest worked is you were in a house under arrest. I know, it's more than that. You came to camp and you learned that. You're like, awesome. I'm never going to hear classes. That's really weird. But he was also not allowed to leave the house. And then have you ever seen those celebrities that they, I don't know, they get like a DUI or something and then they get those little bracelets on their ankles that have like a GPS thing and if they leave the house, you know, unless you're Ant-Man, then you can shrink and get, anyways. So, so they, they, they can't leave the house. Well, in this day, Paul had one of those things, but it was an actual Roman soldier he was chained to, and that's why he couldn't leave the house. So 24-7, he's chained to a Roman soldier and stuck in a house, and guess who pays for that house? Paul. How much money can you earn while you're a prisoner? I know today they have like work programs. They didn't have those in Paul's day. He had to pay for this. And if he wants food, he had to both go get the food and pay for the food. Now, he's a Roman soldier, or not a Roman soldier, he's a Roman citizen, so he would have been able to get the daily food allotment, kind of like a welfare program they had. 
but he can't leave the house. So when the church at Philippi finds this out, they actually early on can't do anything to help him. And then eventually they get the means to help him, and now they reach out. And that's what 10 and 11 are all about. They send Epaphroditus, and he's kind of like a personal assistant just to live there and help Paul. And then they send a bunch of probably some money to help him pay for his bills. Epaphroditus works himself to the bone and gets really, really sick in ministry for Paul. And the church finds out, and they get really concerned because he's maybe going to die. And so Paul writes a thank you letter. And after they revive their concern and send this, this is like the whole book is like a thank you letter to the Philippians church. They're talking about what's, he's telling them what's going on. He's thanking them for their ministry. And to allay their fears about Epaphroditus, he actually sends Epaphroditus back to hand deliver the letter so that they wouldn't be sad and concerned and wondering what's happening to Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was probably either a member in the church in good standing, like a really active member. He might have been one of the pastors. So it's really cool. If you, if you read chapter three, Paul talks all about it. So that's what's going on. Now, it's really funny because uh, in his need, he says in, in verse 10, he says this, you've finally revived your concern. But then in 11, he says, now, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Okay. If I said today, man, this person is in need, what are some situations you might think, oh, that, this is what it looks like to be in need today? Like, just say them out, shout them out. What, what's that? I think homeless would be one. Yeah, we think of homelessness. Okay, what else? What's that? Unplanned pregnancy. Yeah, that would be a big one, like a big life-altering event. What? Hunger, yeah, like you don't have any food. You're behind on your bills. Your house burns down. What's that? Yeah, car broke down, no car, you can't get anywhere. Okay, these are good, so we got an idea of need. Would being under house arrest change to a Roman soldier, being uh, required to pay for everything but not being able to make any money, would you say that that would fit in the same category? (laughs) I think it would. What do you think it was like for the Philippians to say, not that I'm saying I'm in need. Are you kidding, Paul? You're in a Roman prison under house arrest. You have to pay for everything, and you're chained to a soldier so you can't escape. And you're doing that all for the gospel, and you don't think you're in need? So I think that's helpful for us to think about Paul's perspective. How could Paul be in that situation, which would be similar to the ones we just mentioned? Unplanned pregnancy, homelessness, no car, no money. How could he be in a situation like that and say, actually, I'm not saying this like I'm in need? That's what we want to learn today. We want, to th- we want to figure out how is Paul able to be in a really needy situation and yet say, I've learned that I'm not in need and I can be content in this situation. So let's talk about Paul learning. Oh, yeah, we're, sorry, we already said those things. Let's talk about Paul learning contentment in any circumstance, verse 12. Paul learning contentment in any circumstance. So I'm going to read verse 12 to you, and you can see where he bookends it. So the end of 11 uh, 11 says this, I've learned that in any situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. All right, so let's talk about bookends. You know what a bookend is, right? On a shelf, if you don't have enough books to go from side to side, and you put them in the middle, they fall over. And so you put bookends next to him to hold him up. And bookends are kind of like the, the, the furthest extent of both sides of the books. You go as far this way, you get to one bookend. You go the farthest way to another. We're going to talk about the bookends here now. If I bought bookends, if I ever did, 
These are the ones I would buy. Look at those. Isn't that wonderful? If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, this is great. The two kings from right there, and you have bookends. Oh, that'd be awesome. So, but the idea here is that you've got the one end and the other. It's like the two extents, the two extremes. It's like as far apart as you can go. So I want to talk about the bookends here that Paul deals with. He's learned to be content in two scenarios. And it's not like these are the only two. The way he's communicating this is whether it's all the way to that side or all the way to that side, no matter what the circumstance is, I can be content. And that's the metaphor or the illustration he's doing. All right, so first of all, he says, I know how to be brought low. Does anyone's Bible say, I know know how to be humbled? That's another translation of this word. It's the same word for humility. I know how to be humbled. Well, no one really likes to be humbled, right? Usually if you hear about humility, it's a pastor or someone more uh, wise and godly saying, hey, you need to be humble. And generally, if that comes up in your life, it's because you've been exhibiting some pride. And in that situation, what do you have to do? I have to choose, okay, I'm going to be humble. So it's like an active thing. I do the choosing. What's interesting here about the wording is my Bible says, I know how to be brought low or be humble. Now, that's a little, a little bit different. Let's remember some grammar language. Okay, I'm going to give you a sentence. I hit the ball, Okay. I, we call that the subject of the sentence. It could be you, it could be I, whatever. Hit, we call that a verb. And then the ball, we call that like the rest. <laughs> Object, predicate, whatever. There's different words for it, okay? I'm not a grammarian. I, anyways. Direct object. Well, it is a direct object. It's in the, yeah, okay. That, that's good, that's good. I, I always get nervous when I talk grammar because people who really understand grammar, anyways. So I hit the ball. So this kind of a verb, we call it an active verb, because the subject is doing the action. Okay, it's an active verb. Now, I didn't know any of this until I took a class one time about languages and grammar, and I thought, this doesn't matter, until I started to understand how this affects the Bible. Notice that if I said, I could change hit to something passive by saying, I am hit by the ball. So now if I say, I am hit by the ball, I still have a subject, I still have a verb, and I still have the other thing. By the ball. I think it's still the direct object there. But is it indirect because you have the by? Prepositional phrase. Okay, there we go. Object of the preposition. This is great. I love this. I also don't teach any grammar classes at all. Except Greek. Okay, so if it was in Greek, I could tell you. (laughs) How to embarrass yourself as a professor. Okay. (laughs) But at this point, what I want you to see is the direction changes. If it's active, the subject is doing the action. If it's passive, the sub... the like, rest of it is doing the action to the subject. So the subject receives the action. That's really important to note in the Bible. So think about Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What Paul does not want you to say there is, how do I go out and try to conform to the world? That's another place. What he wants you to think of is, how is the world trying to conform you? Because the verb's passive there. Here, when he says, I know how to be humbled, he's not, or be brought low, he's not saying, I go and I humble myself voluntarily, or I actively bring myself low. He's saying, I know how to be in a situation where something else is doing the bringing me low or the humbling me. This is challenging in an applicational sense because it can mean I'm in a situation where 
something goes really wrong and I have to deal with it. So maybe my house floods or I'm in a car accident or something like that where it does kind of bring my life low. That's a passive thing, yes. But there are other times where perhaps God humbles me or brings me low by showing me my sin. Now, that's not exactly the same situation here, but both are an external thing that bring you low. Paul knows how to go through that. I don't know about you, but when I have to look at my pride square in the eye, it's not a fun situation. And I'm pretty resistant by nature. I have to work on, okay, what is God doing? How is he revealing my heart to me? Well, it would be similar in these kind of situations. My house burns down, my car breaks, my whatever. And I'm, in a sense, being brought low. Sometimes it's not very low. Sometimes it's really low. I want you to ask this question inside of yourself, not outside. When those sorts of things happen in your life and your life is brought low, how do you handle it? What's your response? Think about the last time something really bad happened. What was your response? Now, sometimes we, our first response is horrid. <laughs> okay, so give yourself a little understanding of your nature as a sinner. But was there a change eventually to where you had the proper response? If you have a history of not responding well, this is the passage for you. Paul is going to share with you the secret on learning how to respond and be brought low in those situations. All right, so brought low, we're on the one side of the bookend. He then says he knows how to face hunger. I don't know if by looking at me if you can tell, but I don't know how to face hunger, okay? This is not one of my strengths. I had a very full meal at every meal yesterday because I'm at camp, and I know that if I do that every day, by Thursday I'm going to hurt and probably be in like a perpetual nap mode. But um, facing hunger, I think there's a couple things to think about it here. When, when we say hunger in America today, I'm like, oh, I'm intermittent fasting and I'm skipping breakfast, or I, I, I didn't get to eat until 2 o'clock instead of noon. Man, I was hungry. So just think creatively. What, do you, what kind of hunger do you think Paul might be talking about in his world? I'm, I'm thinking in the day category, yes. I, th I think that's, let's just, let's just go with days. I don't know if it's weeks. I know that gets really sketchy there, but maybe it's days. And he, he's in house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's got to pay for everything. When he says, I've learned the secret to facing hunger, it's not like lunch is two hours late. Like, it's maybe been a couple of days, and he's like, I can face that. I know the secret to handling that. Boy, if Paul could tell that secret, I bet we'd have like a dieting phenomenon in our culture today because, man, that would be really helpful. But that's a pretty serious thing. And then the other thing I want you to notice about it is he's talking about food. That's kind of um, necessary. <laughs> like, I have to have food. This is not like, oh, I really want nice food or, it's, or, or I want like a really nice day or like the niceties of life or the, the bonuses or the extras. This is something that if he doesn't have it, he will die. Literally life and death at a certain point. But he says, I know how to face that. I've learned the secret of facing that. It's pretty um, condemning on my own life when I look at the little things in life that I miss out on and how they can upset the rest of my day. And then I look at this. Um, this is, I hope you enter into my pain here and you don't mock me. I expect Dave back there to mock me. I forgot my pour-over basket. 
So I have all my coffee gear. I have my really nice grinder. I'm a big coffee fan. My friend Tim has a coffee roaster. He roasted me coffee before I came up here. It's like four days old. It's so good. I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, three years ago when I was coming to camp, I took a picture and sent it to my wife and her sister and said, I'm ready to go. And Julie, who works in the office, is like, you know, Andy, we do have a coffee shop. And I just responded and I said, I am a coffee shop. I don't need your coffee shop. <laughs> But this is like the best camp coffee shop ever because you have really good... Be- anyway, I'm not going to go into it. It's really good. You have no idea what you have, okay? Um, and so I show up and I was like, okay, I got this. And I'm looking, where's my basket? So I've been at the mercy of Steve Cox, but thankfully he is a really good coffee maker and he's been able to make it, but I can't get... I don't know this one, so my mix is always off, so my coffee's a little weak. Or t- I'm telling you, this is of the Lord, everybody. <laughs> What am I going to do? Man, I didn't have good coffee today. It was just mostly good coffee today. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking about Paul facing hunger, and I, what am I going to do, complain about coffee? I can't do that. <laughs> but how often does my entire day revolve around that next cup of coffee? Now, if you don't like coffee, you're like, well, you're weird. But what is it for you? Is it the next soda drink? Is it the next episode? Like, Paul is talking about real life and death needs. And I think we can get ourselves like, oh yeah, the next time I'm in a really life and death situation, I need to be content. But if it applies to a need, how much more a silly little preference for a roasted bean that I soak and then I drink. Do you see the difference here? Like Paul is giving us the, the, the as far as you can go example of how to be content But I hardly ever face that, but discontent pops up all over when I don't get the things that my heart desires the way my heart desires them. So I'm really thankful he threw in hunger. And then he says, facing need. Now again, we've talked about this. He just ties it up. He's like, hey, this is, I'm talking about needs here. I'm talking about, I've been in real need before. So think about all the needs he's been in. How many times was he whipped? Well, one time, I remember he was beaten and whipped so bad he was left for dead and they thought he was dead. He's had the 39 lashes from the Jews a couple of times. I can't remember, just three or four times. Uh, he was shipwrecked. He's been in prison multiple times. So any of those situations, I think, would be like a bookend, as bad as it gets, okay? And Paul has learned that the secret of getting through those things is not getting a bottle and drinking until you forget or binging a series so you're not thinking about it. Paul has a different path to contentment. And we can travel a path to contentment that we think is going to pay off and not realize we're doing that. So I'm thankful that he put this one bookend in. Now let's look at the other bookend because this one's weird. He knows how to face good times. (laughs) Okay, Paul, I need help with this one over here, but I'm fine. Like, give me a million dollars, I'm okay. (laughs) I'm fine. So, it's interesting. He says he knows how to abound. Okay. Um, he knows how to face plenty. And then he says he knows how to face abundance. Now, I don't know about you, but if I want a trial and God lets me pick, I want these. <laughs> I want to have plenty. Plenty is like when you have more than you need. It's like you go to harvest and there's more than you're going to need, and then you can sell some. That's plenty. Abound, when I think of abound, it means to overflow. So the other day I was making coffee and Abby was in the kitchen and she likes to watch me make coffee and sometimes I'll put her on the counter and she watches me do the little like swirly pour thing because I'm a nerd. 
And a snob, I think, is what people call a coffee snob. I just like good coffee. That's all. I just like good coffee. And so what you do, this is, I know, high nerdery, but if you like coffee, you know. You, you get your cup, you get your filter in your basket, and you pour water through it. No coffee. So you clean it and warm the cup up. Then you dump it out. Then you put the beans in, and then you bloom it, which is to, like, let it expand. Then you pour the rest. It's a, it's a big involved process. And I had forgotten... <laughs> I cleaned it and I left the water in the cup and I had forgotten about that. Reset the scale to zero. And so I'm pouring, I'm pouring, I'm pouring and I get the right amount in and I, I walk over here and I'm doing some dishes or something or putting something away. And then Abby's like, Dad, Dad, there's coffee all over. And I turn and it's like all over the counter. And I'm like, no. And I'm not concerned that it's making a, a mess. I'm concerned that now I have to make it again because the coffee is going to be all messed up. Oh. Okay, but that's overflowing. That's abounding. That's like when everything is like doing good, you have way too much now. Why? Why would Paul say he's learned to face that and be content? Would that even be a temptation? What's interesting is I, if we think about it, like when, I, when we talk about contentment this week, I think we always go over to this bookend. And we're like, man, when it's hard, when it's bad, when I don't get what I want, but Paul was equally as concerned that when things go really well, you might face discontentment, which is interesting to me. So I had to think about that for a while. Well, I think an illustration of what I'm talking about is I have a friend. I was doing some classwork in Louisville, and we're all PhD students, and so we're all poor. <laughs> okay, we're theology PhD students. No one's making money off this, okay? And, uh, and he's in the class getting training, but he's an anesthesiologist, he was okay. <laughs> he, he was not hurting. And it was, I don't know why it came up that week. It was an apologetics class. And I can't remember what the point was that we were talking about. But you know how the like, spiderweb conversation. But he said, you know, guys, and he said it really kindly because it can come off odd, but he wasn't like that. He says, sometimes when you don't have money, you think, if I just had the money, it would fix the problem. And he wasn't talking down to us from his high and mighty place because he'd you know, been in the, in the lower end too. But he said, I just want you to know, guys, it doesn't actually solve all your problems. And sometimes it actually makes it even harder to follow Christ. It was interesting, we, as we talked, you think about it, if I have all the money I need, I'm not really being driven to prayer the same way as when I'm facing need. Have you ever looked back at your life and you went through something hard? Was that like one of the times where you were closer to God? Did that ever happen to you? Like something bad happens and suddenly you're praying regularly, you're in the Bible, you're talking to people about the Lord. But then when things go well, it's interesting. You wouldn't think you're discontent because you have all the things you want, but there is maybe a spiritual discontentment because I have all the things I want and I don't need God. If you, There are some people who are very driven, self-sufficient people, and there are other people who are like not like that. But sometimes when you have everything you need, if you struggle with self-reliance and like it's just like cultivating that self-reliance that I'm independent, like I can do it, I don't need God. Now you'd never say that. Again, remember, these are Sunday school answers. I would never say, Do you need God? No. <laughs> no one's saying that. But in our souls, in our hearts, sometimes we live like that. Now it's interesting. I'm thankful that Paul points this out because you can have a lot and still struggle with discontent. The other example of this is not like the spiritual problems that arise from it, <clears throat> I don't know who this is. Warren Buffett, or I don't know, some rich guy was on an interview. 
and the guy was saying, you, know, you have this much money, that's like almost more money than anybody, yet you're still starting businesses, you're still doing it. like, how much money do you want to make before like, it's enough? And the guy said, just a little more. Now think about that. That's like one of those, the goalpost keeps moving. Like, oh, I made a million, okay, I just need a little bit more. Oh, now I'm at like 10 million, okay, just a little more. And so there is, you can think, oh, I'm not discontent because I have everything I need, but there still can be discontent in riches or when things are going well. And Paul wants us to be on guard both to discontent over here, but also discontent over here. And that was helpful for me. I didn't actually think about that before. So let's get to it. What's the secret? What is Paul's secret to contentment? <clears throat> Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, some of your Bibles don't say him. They say Christ. It's the, it's the same thing either way. There's, if you want to get into textual variation and all that, we could talk about it. But if it's the pronoun, who's Paul talking about? If it's just him, it's Christ. Because that's who he's been talking about in the book. That's, the whole book of Philippians is all about Christ and his trying to have the mind of Christ and following after Christ. And <clears throat> so it's Christ either way. And so he says, I have learned to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now he calls this a secret. Why does he call it a secret? Just think about a secret. Secrets are hidden. Secrets are not common knowledge. Secrets are things that you often know they exist, but you don't know them. You don't know the secret. So uh, maybe a good example is an inside joke. Have you ever seen a group of friends and someone says something, and then maybe another person says something, and everyone laughs, and it makes no sense at all? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not even going to try it. But you know, there's an inside joke. And now, th that's a good example of this kind of a secret. You know something just happened, and you know they know, and you don't know, but you don't know the thing they know. Sorry, did we get all that mixed up? And so I think that's a good idea of what maybe Paul's getting at. There's a secret here. Think about it. If you're unsaved, if you don't have Christ, you literally can't have this kind of contentment. Remember what we talked about yesterday. What are your options? You can avoid, you can avoid or try to change your circumstances, or you can just flow and accept life. And then you sort of lie to yourself and say, yeah, this is not that bad. Oh, this is actually okay. There's a silver lining. This is pretty good. Well, it could be worse. And, but, but then you meet a Christian who has this kind of true contentment. Do you think you would notice? You may not know the words yet, but you're going to see something and say, man, that's different. Huh, they went through something and they didn't respond the way I did. Why is that? So you would know something's going on, but you wouldn't know what it is. I think that's why Paul uses the word secret here. Something along those lines. He knows this and it's, it's hidden. Not everyone knows about it, but maybe people would see the results and wonder. For you, if you can learn contentment, this is a witnessing opportunity goldmine. Think about being at your job. And something goes really bad that commonly goes bad. So I used to work in an auto shop, and uh, I was a service advisor. And so someone calls and makes an appointment, and I write it down under my number. When that customer comes in, whoever service advisor it is, it doesn't matter, they go to me, and then I would get like the sale off that, that, uh, that sale. I would get the commission off the sale. Well, sometimes they would call you, <clears throat> and then you'd put it in the computer, and it wouldn't save, or something would happen because it was a glitchy computer system. 
And then the other guy gets the sale. Well, what if it's like rotate tires and oil change? That's not much money in that. I mean, a little bit. But man, if it's like a replace a transmission, that could be a lot of cash you could have made. Now, when that would happen to my coworkers, I wasn't on commission, they were, so it was a little different. They, there would be some irate, angry arguments. Man, if I was on commission and I could have responded in the Lord trusting Christ, who's omnipotent and providentially running all events in life, and in front of them, I could have responded in a God-honoring way, can you imagine how different that would have been? Now, what about your job? Is there ways that you can trust the sovereignty of God in the circumstances of your job to the point at which your coworkers will think something's off, but not bad? Something's different, but maybe good? This is witnessing opportunity. I know it's good to go and knock on doors. It's good to go out and... But this is like, just as you're living in your job, you can be like making it very, very easy for people to wonder and then come and talk to you. I think this is a really good witnessing opportunity. So then what is Paul's secret? It's Christ. <clears throat> His secret is Christ. Yesterday we talked about the foundation to contentment being the character of God. Here, Paul says the same thing. I have learned I can be in content in any situation because it's Christ who is the one who can strengthen me to be content. It's a spiritual thing. It's something that Christ gives me through my relationship and trust in him. And if I am connected to him, if I am connected to the vine, if I am abiding in him, he gives me a spiritual contentment that I think goes beyond the world's understanding of this scenario. But that means if I don't have Christ, no matter how I strive, I don't have access to this kind of contentment. And if I do have Christ, but I live for myself and I live in the flesh, I would not expect to see this kind of contentment in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're almost done. I want to draw a couple of things together, and then we're going to have a little sidebar here because I can't not have the sidebar. You'll see in a moment. But I want you to think about your life. Do you struggle with discontentment? Do you see the roots of that? Do you see the, the fruit of that in your life? Be honest with yourself. Uh, in, in the Proverbs, the wise man is really brutally honest with himself. He wants people to correct him. He wants people to critique him. Uh, if someone comes up and says, I see a big problem in your life, and they tell you, the wise man says, thanks for telling me. Do you see anything else I want to know? The fool... I jokingly say, you look at the fool and you're like, hey, your shoe's untied. And then he you know, rips you up one side and down the other for pointing out an untied shoe. The fool wants nothing to do with rebuke or criticism. So one of the ways to be biblically wise is to be really hard on yourself in, in a I'm being totally honest way. So be honest. Do you struggle with discontentment? If you do, what are the areas that you're discontent in? So take that thought. And then the second thought you need to have is, What's my relationship with Christ like? Are you in church regularly? I know you can attend and be, you know, checked out, but are you attending church? Are you in the Word of God regularly? Are you feeding on scriptures to feed your soul? Are you letting the Word transform the way you think, renew your mind so that your outlook is seeking the things above, not the things that are here on the earth? 
Are you disciplined in that even when you don't feel like getting into the Bible? Uh, sometimes you get these Bible reading plans and you, you man, you, this fly, uh, you feel like you can't, man, this fly is killing me. I'm going to kill it. Um, I'm content. Come on, fly. It's okay. I can, I can be content right now. Come on, fly. Hey, he landed on my iPad. Okay, come on. We can be buddies. Um, <laughs> man. So can, um, if you have a Bible reading plan and you don't always understand the Bible, that's okay. Just keep pushing through so you get familiar with it. The more and more you read it, the more you look at it, the more you study it, the better it is. But if you read it and don't understand it, that's okay. You're, you're devoting yourself to God's word. That's surely beneficial. But what's going on in your soul? What's going on in your heart? And I would say, overall, are you in a position where you are submitting to God and submitting to Christ? Or are you in a position where I'm doing my own thing and I'll give Christ a little bit, but I'm not giving him rest? The rest. Okay, he gives you rest. You give him the rest. I would say that if you want contentment and you pursue it and you drive after it and you try to go obtain it, but you leave Christ over here, all you're going to have is flow with it, accept it, or change your circumstances. If you want true contentment, you've got to be connected to Christ. Now, some of you today may not be Christians. And maybe you're at this weird camp, and they're doing these woo-woo weird spiritual things. And this is all new to you. And you think it's weird and quacky, but you've been meeting people, and they are different. There's something, like, we got oddballs here. No offense. I'm an oddball. You're an oddball. But, but there is something different. If that's you today, please understand that what I'm talking about is what, what this, these people have access to that you don't. You can have access to that. You can. you can. You can know this Christ personally. If that's you, come talk to me. Come talk to Chris. Come talk to anyone who works at camp. Talk to the people you came with. They know you the best. They could help you with this. If you're a Christian today and you don't have this contentment, it's, it's got to be your walk. It's got to be what's going on with your walk. What's your perspective? Do you understand why God gives you trials? Because that's actually how he changes you. He wants you to go through hard things. Not because he's evil. Remember, his character is good. But that's how he helps you to see what's in you, and that's how he transforms you through his spirit. James 1. Study James 1. If you haven't been in James 1 in a while, get in James 1. Okay. So thank you. Now, I have a sidebar that I can't not do. I'm sorry. <clears throat> can, can we just talk for a moment about authorial intent? Okay, so maybe you've never heard of authorial intent before, okay? Oh, that was all supposed to come up one at a time. Bummer. So today, you've heard, Roman, or you've heard uh, Philippians 4.13 before, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can we just, real quick, where do you see that in culture? What? Athletics, that's the big one. That's what I'm looking for. I can quit fishing. We just made a good catch. Yeah, athletics. <clears throat> I know sometimes like runners will write it on their shoe or they'll put it on their jersey if you're a sports player. Does anyone know of anyone famous who used to maybe put it on the eye black on his face? Like Phil, 413. You know what I'm talking about? I like that guy. I'm not trying to critique him. Um, but it, it becomes common. And, and if you, when you see it in the sports context, what does it mean? I can play my position, or I can win the tournament, or I can do whatever, because Christ can strengthen me to do that. And so, even though I'm sure not everyone thinks that, that gets passed around in Christian churches, and then we kind of think, okay, I can do this. Christ can strengthen me to do this. I want you to really quick think through everything we've just studied. What was Paul talking about? What was Paul's context? 
Now, I'm going to become, I'm going to go Witch of Endor on you, okay? Not Endor where there's a Death Star, okay? Endor, like Saul, who wanted to know something, he went to the Witch of Endor, and he called who? Back from the grave. Samuel. Okay, I draw the pentagram, I got the candles lit. Up comes Paul. We're going to have problems. Paul's going to see this and be like, you are pagan, you are being occultish. And I'm like, oh, hold on, Paul, just ignore the paganism, okay, real quick. We just wanted to let you know that we really are so thankful for all the writings that you gave to those churches because those have been a source of nourishment and leadership and comfort for the church for 2,000 plus years. We're so thankful, Paul. And maybe if Paul ignored all the Satanism, he'd maybe look at me and think, oh, that's, oh, I'm really encouraged to hear that. Well, what's an example of something that you learn? Oh, man, Paul, when we go to sports tournaments, you know, like the Colosseum in your day or the Greek games, we write that one verse you sent to Philippi about you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and then we work really hard, and we know that if Christ could strengthen us to win those games. What would Paul do? What? He would smack me. Thank you. I was hoping someone would get violent today. I think he would, if he had a whip, he would whap. I mean, whatever he had, whatever's at hand, the podium, my iPad, that fly. He would just, just he would be, I think he'd be ticked. Now, why would he be frustrated? Is that what he meant? No, I don't think Paul had any concern about thriving in life, succeeding in life, winning in life. Paul's point was that you, through Christ, can be strengthened to be content in any situation. Now, is it true, like take this verse out of the Bible, out of the context, (laughs) okay, let's just pretend we did that, (laughs) okay, put it over here, the statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that true? Well, duh. Yeah. Like we talked yesterday about God being omnipotent. So if Christ strengthens me to do something, can I do it? Yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm not saying that that's wrong. Is that what Paul meant? No, it's not. So I know this is kind of a sidebar But when it comes to studying your Bible, you always need to be asking the question, what does the author intend me to understand? There's so many things I got wrong studying my Bible growing up because I didn't ever think about the context or what the author was trying to say. And so I know this is not like a Bible study week, but I can't not tell you this in this passage because it's such a commonly misunderstood verse. Now, this is the other reason, though, that when you do your Bible reading, it may not make sense to you. If you flip into any of those pages in the middle that stick together because we never read them, they're called the Minor Prophets. You know, that's Daniel. He's, okay. <clears throat> Micah, okay. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Bethlehem. Roll yourself into dust. That was really good Hebrew pronunciation, by the way. Pass it on the way of the inhabitants of Shafir and the nakedness and shame. Oh, okay, let's go somewhere else. Uh, you know, and I just start flipping through, and I'm like, what's a word from God for me today? That's never going to produce spiritual growth in your life. Now, you don't need to be an expert interpreting the Bible, but I would appeal to you to think through when you talk to someone else, do you want them to think about what you're trying to say and not just take your words out of context? Yeah. And so we should be doing the same thing with God's word. And when you do that, you start to understand what Paul's saying really clearly. Okay. So here's your renewing the mind questions. So this is scripture in action time. And so if you want to take these and you want to talk about them, feel free. If not, no pressure. So 
and this is worded really long, but again, if you get online, you can get this written out. If contentment in any situation, which is what the Bible is offering you today, you can be content in any situation. Now, please, for a moment, think of the any there. Think of the worst possible situation. It doesn't mean you're going to like it, love it, be excited about it, or want to repeat it. You might be hurt by it, it might be very difficult, and it might be something you deal with for a long time. But the Bible is offering you, in the midst of that, contentment. And you get that through Christ. So if contentment in any situation is based on Christ, what does your walk with him look like? Ask that question today. Spend time thinking about that. What does my walk with Christ look like? Now, when you say things like that, I remember I was like 10, or no, I was 14, I think. I was at this church, and there's an elder, uh, a, a, an older guy who was like a lay, kind of a, it was a different situation. He was like a, a kind of a servant in the church. And uh, he was really funny. He was actually a kendo master, which is like sword fighting. And he'd given it all up. It's a great story. But he, he, he's standing next to me, and he's like, Andy, how's your heart? And I'm thinking, now I know he's not talking about this, but in my mind I'm like, I, I don't know, I guess okay. And I really appreciated Glenn. He was trying to get me to think about what's going on inside of you. Like, how's your walk with God? How's your love for the Lord? But I didn't really have the equipment to think through that at 14, but I'm glad he asked that question. But here, if, you, if I say, how's your walk with God, and you're just kind of like, I don't know. Here's some questions that might be indicators. Number one, how often are you in the scriptures? How often are you in the scriptures? And I would say, even if you get in and you don't understand them, but you're trying to be faithful, I think that's you pursuing Christ. Um, but if you're not even trying to get into them, that's a, to me, says something. Now, we get busy, I understand. But how much do you prioritize that? And you might think, man, I'm so busy. Okay, don't, this hurts. It hurts for me, too. Okay, think of something like social media or your favorite television show or online show or, or a hobby you have, and have you had time for that? But have you not had time for scripture? That's the kind of question you want to think about. All right, secondly, how regularly do you pray? Now, hopefully you're praying throughout the day, um, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you've gone days without like really praying much, or unless it's like meals or when you know someone here prays or something. Uh, do you attend church regularly? There's a big misunderstanding in Christianity, and I think the COVID thing kind of made it even worse, that I don't have to go and be with other believers on the Lord's Day and worship God. I can kind of do this on my own, or if I don't, I can just read my Bible and it's good enough. It's not what the scriptures present. Christ did not die to give us new life in him so that we wouldn't have to go to the church. Christ, it is his body. So how can you be pursuing Christ and not be in his body? And then the fourth one I would say is, do you serve regularly at church? There's not really a category in the New Testament for a Christian who doesn't serve. It's like a, like a Christian is a servant. And if you're not serving, eh, I understand you get injured or there's nothing to do. or there's, But generally, you should be serving in church. Do you serve in church regularly? Now, I don't know if it's every week or every couple of weeks. or Is there something you're doing to serve? All right, second question. Think about your life. Where do you face discontent? Uh, the temptation to it. Is it entertainment, finances, relationship? Is it uh, your physique or your gender, the way God built you? Is it your job? 
Is it your community you live in? Is it your church? Is it your family? Is it your friend group or your lack thereof? Like, where do you face discontent? I think that it would be good for you to recognize that as discontentment. Call it what it is. And then, once you identify a sin, what should you do? Pray. Pray to God. Pray to the Lord and ask him to help you with that. All right, I want to give you a book recommendation like I will every day this week. Uh, This is the book called The Secret of Contentment by William Barclay. This is my favorite book on contentment. It's excellent. It's not hard. It's cookies on the low shelf. It's a little better than Eric Raymond's yesterday. If you were like going to do an impulse buy of all the books this week, this is the one to impulse buy. It's really good. And I would recommend, this is part of why we do our podcast, is we're trying to encourage this. I would recommend buying one of these books, getting with someone else, reading it together a chapter a week, and just talk about it. Um, That is, on our podcast, we're trying to do that to help the the college students and then people in general to, to not always just veg out on social media, but to do something biblically productive with other Christians. And I would recommend, get the book, hang out with your family and do this, hang out with your friends, Read it a chapter a week and think about it. This, this book will pay off. It will be worth it. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you have designed it to be living and active and to reach out into our lives and adjust and give us wisdom. Thank you that it points out where we err, where we stray. It tells us what to do correctly. It shows us the right way to live. It encourages us. It nourishes us. It gives the spirit Uh, what the Spirit uses to convict us and to show us our lives. We're thankful for it, God. I pray, Lord, that your word would go forth this week, just like in the book of Acts, where people change their lives because of the word, uh, because of your word, God. Thank you, Lord, for today. I pray that we would enjoy camp. I pray that we would enjoy all the fun here. Thank you, God, for blessing us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.